What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Here we got a bunch of stuff to talk about today on this episode. We've got a little horse racing action to start off today. Got NHL, got some PGA golf as well, some non-PGA golf to talk about. Some big news this week in the golf world that Brett's going to hit on for us. We've got a stats update in the MLB. And then we've got out in the NCAA baseball world, we've got super regional matchups are set. We'll kind of have some some regular from that first round of regionals. Um, maybe a couple surprising outcomes we'll talk about. And then we've got the super regional matchups. Brett and I'll give our predictions on that. And then the NBA, we've got uh, games one, two, and three are in the books. The NBA finals, we'll talk about those first three games, kind of give our thoughts. And then we'll get into game four and game five and then uh, potential game six and seven if needed. Um, little little tidbit of news for for the pod at the end of the NBA section. Then we've got some NFL news, uh, big team purchases, we couple big contract extensions or restructures for a team. And then we'll end off with a new segment we're calling the Ice Bath, where we kind of give – we talked about it last week, wanted to add a, kind of a segment at the end where we kind of give – Brett and I give a uh, kind of a cool thing we saw this week or a funny thing in, in sports we saw past couple of days. And so we're calling it the Ice Bath, talked about naming it, uh, kind of th- talked it over this week. I'm going with the Ice Bath. Uh, kind of like the Ice Bath, you could have – you know, after you do, you know, basketball players or football players after a game, we'll do the ice bath. So kind of at the end of the pod, we'll cool off with that. But we'll jump right into it today with the Belmont Stakes starting, or I guess running this weekend on Saturday. The 154th running of that will take place in New York. It'll be the 111th time it takes place at Belmont Park. It's a mile and a half race known as the Test of the Champion and is the final leg in the, in the American Triple Crown. Open to three-year-old thoroughbred horses. This will be the last kind of horse racing thing we talk about um, on the pod. I obviously, we'll get the results next week. On next week's pod, we'll talk about that. And then that'll be kind of it for horse racing for a while. Um, really, the only race people most people follow is Triple Crown, so that's what we'll stick with. Um, but the race is scheduled to start at 6.50 p.m. Eastern time on NBC. So that's 5.50 for us in the Central time and then 3.50 for those in the West Coast. Uh, we the People currently has the best odds to win the race at 2-1. to one. Those are pretty crazy odds. I, I don't, I mean, horse racing odds are usually pretty high um, for certain yeah. horses, but that's pretty, that's pretty crazy two to one. I mean, that's, those are really good odds. So, um, you know, that probably tells me that there's probably a couple other dark horse horses maybe that have some pretty long odds that you can maybe hit on. Um, don't know if I'm betting on the two to one favorite. That's kind of a tough bet to make, but you maybe there's, a, you know, the second place person's at, a, at maybe some longer odds than normal, maybe take that bet. So, um Definitely pay attention to, this, to the results of that. And we'll talk about it on uh, Thursday next week. Yeah, no, it should be fun to tune into that. Uh, I know Rich Strike is back in action here after they they uh, took the horse out of the Preakness Stakes field just to kind of recover and get set for this race right here. Um, it'll be cool to see the finish. I mean, it's only going to be a, what, three, four-minute race all yeah. said and done. So it'll be cool to see how it ends. I know the first two were pretty exciting finishes. Um, but I think Rich Strike has a second or third best odds, so uh, maybe a good horse to bet on there. Uh, but, yeah, this race is pretty much the big one of them all. Uh, while there won't be a Triple Crown winner this year, there's there could be three different horses winning. We could have Rich Strike win again. Um, so a few exciting storylines to follow along for this one here. But I'll, I'll definitely be tuning in. Um, Maybe I don't, maybe not watch the whole thing live, but not sure what I'll going on when this is going on. But nonetheless, I'll probably go to Twitter and see the finish, see how it ended. Yeah, no doubt. That's probably what I'll do. Um, maybe a little bit busy at the time, but definitely go back, check after the uh, the race is over. Check the end, like the last 30 seconds on Twitter for sure on a nice clip there. I'll kind of move into the NHL here. Um, 
conference finals going on, kind of looking at two very different series. Um, Avalanche closed it out pretty quick with the Edmonton Oilers in a four-game sweep. Um, Edmonton put up a good fight in games three and four. Um, you know, they really had game four in the bag, I thought. Uh, you know, they kind of blew it at the end and then going to overtime and lose to the Avalanche. Um, I guess not super surprising. The Avalanche were kind of the favorites to come out of the Western Conference, um, especially getting they got out of that second round. And once they beat the Blues, it kind of seemed like long odds for Edmonton. They've been in a couple long series. Um, Avalanche a little more rested than them. So um, while I was pulling for the Oilers, I thought the Avalanche would win. Um, and it was kind of a – kind of got boat racing the series as a whole, in the first, especially in the first two games. And Colorado outscored them 22-13 uh, to 13 across four games. So, um, you know, we'll see how this rest treats the Avalanche. I mean – we saw that the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals, they got, they, you know, they finished up a four game sweep. And, you know, you think, oh, well, they're going to be a little more rested than the New York Rangers. Maybe they steal game one or game two. And they went down 0 2. So the rest isn't always great for teams in hockey. I think at this point in the season, the rest is probably going to be good for the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, expect the Avalanche to be out to a, a quick, quick 1 0 or 2 0 lead in that series. Um, but just like the Eastern Conference Finals with the Tampa Bay Lightning going down 0 uh, 2, they've now tied it at 2 2. So, um, kind of surprising that the that the Rangers jumped up to a quick 2-0 lead, though, for me at least. Oh yeah, it's definitely exciting to see the finish of the Avalanche Oilers series. I, yeah, like you said, thought the Oilers had it, and the Avalanche scored that overtime goal to clinch the berth in the finals. Uh, it's got to feel awesome in terms of overtime goals. It's clinching a berth in the finals is pretty much as good as it can get. Uh, but yeah, it should be fun. I mean. No pun intended. They've pretty much scored an avalanche of goals this whole playoffs. Um, very, very good offensive team. And when they haven't been able to score, their defense has stepped up, which has kind of been a kind of like overlooked point of their playoff run here. But yeah, I mean, they were the favorites to win it all going into the playoffs with the best odds. Uh, so no surprise here from them. I will say thought the Oilers would have played better those first two games. Um, I didn't think they would you know, obviously playing in Colorado was tough, but I didn't think they would play as bad as they did. Um, you know, you lose 8-6 in the first game, and I believe 2 nothing in the second. So, I mean, losing both games by two goals is – I mean, you say it's not too bad, but it just seemed like from afar. I mean, I tuned in and watched a little bit of the games, but just didn't seem like they were kind of up to par with where everyone thought they would be. But, I mean, the Rangers lightning there uh, in the east – has been a much more exciting series. Uh, like I said, Rangers won the first two games to go to 2-0 series lead. Lightning won the next two to tie it up. Uh, the home team won every game. It's not a shocker, really. Uh, throughout these entire playoffs for most teams, they've been much more dominant at home than the road. You're not seeing a lot of teams still win on the road these playoffs. Um, I know the Rangers still won from the Hurricanes in Carolina, which was a shocker. But other than that, there hasn't really been any road wins for the most part. Uh, but it should be fun to see how that series goes. we got game five of that series tonight at 8 Eastern on ESPN. The teams are back in New York at Madison Square Garden. And then after that, the teams will travel back to Tampa Bay for what will be a game to clinch a finals berth for whoever wins tonight. Uh, it'll be really interesting, whoever wins, to see how they – play and kind of try to clinch that berth there in Tampa on Saturday. Uh, that game will be at 8 Eastern on ESPN as well. So that'll be fun to see how that ends up. And then I believe we have the finals starting next. I mean, obviously it depends when this series ends, but I believe next Tuesday is the current date as of now. 
Yeah, that probably sounds right. Figure it's Tuesday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I guess if this goes if this series goes seven, uh, let's see, they play they play Saturday for game six, Tuesday game seven. So you figure Wednesday or Thursday is when they start. Um, I think this series is gonna go seven personally. Um, it's been a great first few games, it's been really back and forth and really tight. Um, I've watched most of the first four games. I've watched, you know, I've had it on. Um, I'll watch a little bit more baseball than I have hockey. Um, so I've kind of had baseball games and hockey games on the same time, but as well as some college, some college baseball this past weekend, but, um, yeah, definitely two really good games so far Two you just easy to watch as, as a, not as a, I guess a casual hockey fan. It's really easy to watch. It's really good hockey. I'm competitive. So definitely what you want to see in, in a, in a series kind of contrary to what the Western conference was. Yeah. Um, It'll definitely be fun to see, especially whoever clinches the finals berth to face off with the Avalanche, even how that series goes, obviously, with everything on the line there. But that's pretty much it for hockey. Um, pretty much only covering it during the playoffs here as it's not quite as big as some other sports that we cover uh, and probably just doesn't draw quite as much attention. But we both love watching the playoffs, um, but not much more than that in terms of the NHL. We're going to shift to the PGA here, the golf world, and we, it was a wild past week or so in that aspect. Um, in terms of the PGA Tour events we have going on, this past weekend we had the Memorial Tournament at Muirfield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Ohio, and Billy Horschel won the event behind a strong round three 65 on the scorecard. He ended up winning the tourney by four shots, and won two million one hundred sixty thousand. Um, so pretty impressive payday there for Billy Horschel. I know after that he said he dreamed of one day winning and having his family all come out to him on the 18th green, and that's kind of what happened there. He has won in the past, but that was never um, that never happened before. So a really uh, cool first time occurrence there for Horschel and his family. Uh, but as we shift to this weekend, today we had the RBC Canadian Open tee off at St. George's Golf and Country Club there in Toronto, Ontario, up there in Canada. Wyndham Clark has the early one shot lead as day one concluded today. He shot a seven under 63 to open his weekend. And for next week, a week from today, we have the third major of the year at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. John Rahm won the event last year to become the world number one in the official world golf rankings. This year should be fun with kind of a revised field. A lot of guys that normally play in these high stakes majors will not be in it. Uh, and you wonder why they are not injured. They are leaving the PGA tour. The biggest news of the week was not the PGA tour events or who won what money, but it was about those who are leaving the PGA tour. Um, so kind of an overview here, back in October of 2021, Greg Norman, who was in the Pro Golf Hall of Fame, uh, was named CEO of a Saudi-backed Pro Golf Tour, uh, kind of more of a series. Players who opted to join the tour were offered at least $125 million each, with some getting much more. Uh, some big names included Dustin Johnson, who I believe got $150 mil, Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, Louis Oosthuizen, Phil Mickelson, who got $200 mil. Bryson DeChambeau and Ian Poulter, as long as as well as Chase Kepka, who is the younger brother of Brooks Kepka. It is also worth noting that Tiger Woods was also made an offer, amongst any others, many others that turned down the offers and 
opted to instead stay with the PGA Tour in the U.S. Tiger reportedly was offered a number in the high nine digits, meaning at least $500 million, uh, which would have made him a billionaire with a few mil to spare. And today, the PGA Tour banned golfers who have joined the Live Golf Series from participating in any other PGA events. So Live Golf Series, uh, I don't know if it's an acronym or what, um, but I know the Saudis have a very high um, representation in this tour. That's where they're getting all this money from. Uh, it's definitely real interesting to see this. It's definitely an unprecedented time in golf history. Uh, the foreign league is acquiring top-notch players in their sport for an insane amount of money. Uh, it's also lessening the strength of the field for the PGA Tour. So not only are is the PGA Tour losing its top players, but it's also becoming a less kind of top notch. Um, the PGA tour is still the standard in the golf world that all golfers try to become a tour member on a PGA tour one day. But now with the live tour series coming in, it's kind of changing the whole golf landscape. And it's, it's real interesting, interesting and kind of sad to see here. A lot of top top golfers in the world leaving. Yeah, I mean, this is something we've kind of never really seen before. Um, we've never really seen another league come after the, the top, uh, you know, American, uh, you know, sports league for talent. Um, I mean, granted, Live Golf's going to place a couple events in North America. I think two of their eight, I think, will be played in North America is what I'm, what I'm pretty sure uh, their website says. But I've never seen this. There's no competitors for the MLB, the NFL, the NBA. I mean, even the NHL, it, it primarily – a Canadian and European sport, but America has the best hockey league. The best players in the world play in America for the most part. Obviously, there's a handful of Canadian teams um, in the NHL, but the NHL is a predominantly American-based league. So well, there's really no – I mean, the only other league there is like that is soccer where the best players play in Europe and, you know, overseas. But, I mean, this is unprecedented. Like you said, uh, this has never really happened before in any sport, let alone golf. Um I did look it up just now when we were when you were talking. Uh, Live golf is not an acronym. It says rather it stands for the Roman numeral for fifty four L I V, L being fifty and then the I V being four. Uh, the number of holes in each tournament will be fifty four, and the score golf would have if they birdied every hole in a par seventy two. Interesting. So, kind of a unique naming process there. Um, but yeah, like you said, this is kind of crazy. I mean, some of the biggest golfers in the world, the biggest names in the world right now. You know, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Nicholson. Uh, you know, Lee Westwood, even I mean, guy, these guys are some of the best golfers in the world that are leaving the PGA tour. Um, you know, who knows what happens, what it looks like in a year from now. I'm not really sure. I don't know how long these contracts with live golf are supposed to be. Um, obviously it's hard to turn down eight figure, nine figure money. I mean, if I'm a guy who's going to get offered a hundred million dollars, I'm probably going to take it and leave the PGA. If, even if I'm playing on a lesser stage, I can't turn down a hundred million dollars. You just can't. So um, while it's probably a hard decision to make, I think that the cash these guys are getting is going to be make the decision a little bit easier. I'd be interested to see how many of these contracts kind of get defaulted on if they do. I mean, you got to figure Live Golf is, has committed over a billion dollars with the or the money to golfers. Considering what they offered Tiger, you think about what Phil probably got. Think about what Bryson probably got. Dustin Johnson, top golfers in the world. You know, Phil being a, a, not not of course nobody's on Tiger's level or echelon in golf but if there's anybody golfing right now that is it's going to be phil or, or roy mcclure right so you figure what do you think phil got he's got to be at least 150 million so i wonder if they have the cash to actually pay these deals out i'm not really sure 
Um, obviously, I can pay it all out in cash right now, but I don't really know what the funding behind this looks like. I'll be curious to kind of see how that looks like and be curious to see what the, the ripple effect on this is in, you know, a, a, you know, a decade or half decade time frame here. But like you said, definitely on a unprecedented time, um, not just in golf, but in sports. I mean, who knows what pop-ups that pops up after this um, out in kind of uh, Europe and Asia. So um, definitely something to kind of keep track of and watch as we kind of move forward. Yeah, no, that's interesting with the naming there. I hadn't done really much research on it beyond like the headlines and the top kind of numbers and the players that were leaving. But yeah, it makes sense. Sounds like there's going to be a three-day event uh, in comparison to the PGA Tour, which is a four-day event. Uh, be interesting to see kind of how the point system works and how golfers can win and what the winnings are. Uh, that'll be interesting to see here as the tour pretty much gets underway. I know a lot of golfers are losing their sponsorships as well for choosing the live tour over the PGA. I know Bryson lost a couple today. Um, and I, I mean, obviously these guys are all making the decision because it's what they think is best for them. And you can't hate a guy for kind of doing that after, you know, all these guys have had great success on the PGA tour. It's not like they're leaving because they can't succeed. Um, these guys are doing it for the money. And I get that because, you know, Dustin Johnson since 2008 has made 74 million on the PGA tour. So in the past 14 years, he's made 74 million and now he's making double that just by switching tours. Um, you got to understand it from his perspective. I, I can't hate the guys for it, but I will say that if they choose that that is the best route for them, then they do not deserve to play on the PGA tour anymore. Um, they should be banned. They shouldn't be able to come back and play after maybe realizing something um, they made that decision and that's their decision. So I think they need to stick with it and own up to what they believe. No, hundred percent. I mean, I, I, and I've, I try and view all kind of sports from this lens lens. Um, you know, I've certainly gotten attached to a couple of guys on teams that have, you know, on my team, on my favorite team that have left, um, you know, and while it sucks, and then this is going to go kind of, going to kind of go hand in hand with the PGA tour and, and live golf is, well, it sucks if you're a PGA fan. Like it, 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 it's rough that you're going to have maybe your favorite golfer in Phil Mickelson or Dustin Johnson leave. But you also going to understand, like, if someone came to you with $100 million, $250 million, and said, hey, I'm going to pay you double what you just earned the last 14 years if you come play golf somewhere else. I mean, how do you – you can't turn that down. That's like your favorite player going and taking more money from another team. Well, it sucks for your team, and maybe you feel jaded because he didn't want to play for your team anymore. It's also – you got to do what's best for you and your family and, and, you know, your lineage going forward. I mean, that's gen these guys already have generational wealth, but if you can multiply that by two or three, fourfold, you can't turn it down. So I don't fault. I, I never fault an athlete for taking the money while they can. I'm always in, I'm always in favor of that. You know, I'm never a guy that's like, oh, I'll take the hometown discount, take the money. I get it. So in this case, same thing. Don't, don't take the discount because you want to stay on the PGA. You take the money. So, you know, these, like I said, most of these guys have already had plenty of success on the PGA Tour. It's not like they're leaving because they can't compete with the other golfers. They're leaving because they're getting a ridiculous bag. So I don't blame them. But we'll kind of shift over to the MLB here, another the league where guys get just ridiculous bags. Um, baseball money is insane. That's contract values are crazy there. But we're going to get to our stats update here. Um, couple, I guess the, the stats have kind of shaken out a little bit. Um, strikeouts you know, kind of guys we're looking at here, names you expect, same with saves. Um, ERA, though, we'll start off with ERA today. A um, couple names, in fact, most of this list, you wouldn't, if you would have, 
if you'd ask me to create a, you know, on June 9th, what my thought top five ERA guys would be, it wouldn't have been anybody on this list. Maybe I would have had Alec Manoa who comes in at five. Maybe would have had him on him on this list. Other than that, probably not a single other guy on, the, on this list. So I'm um, kind of crazy, but Alec Manoa comes in at five of the Toronto Blue Jays uh, at a one eight one ERA. So 1.81 earn runs per earn run average. Um, it's a really good ERA. Another guy. Um, I like a lot Alec Manoa, young, really young guy. Um, that's kind of a theme here is a bunch of younger pitchers on this list. Not a lot of older guys um, on this list outside of that guy who comes in fourth and Joe Musgrove of the San Diego Padres coming in at a 1.64 ERA, 1.64. Um, he's a little bit of an older guy, but again, still a relatively young guy um, for, you know, a major league pitcher. So, um, but a guy who's still on a no hitter, uh, I believe in 2021, he threw a no hitter. Um, been a really good pitcher for the Padres since he got there. Um, been a huge part of that team. He's been a huge part of the team's success this year, missing a couple guys, uh, being a little little banged up on that roster. So he's been a huge part of that team's success. Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins coming in at a 1.61 ERA, another young guy. Um, good to see his name up there. Kind of a guy who's been trending upward the past few years, just like Manoa. Um, you know, you figured he's going to have a breakout year one of these years, and it looks like this one might be his breakout year. Um, really good for the Marlins to see. You wonder if he's a Miami Marlin uh, following August 2nd, the, the trade deadline in the MLB. Um, you know, we'll see what that looks like. I'm not really sure, but uh, a guy who could be on the on the trade block, potentially, I don't think he gets moved. I think Miami should probably keep him, maybe build for the future with him. But, you know, they didn't keep Christian Yelich either, so never really know with them. Um, coming at number two, my guy, Tony Gonsolin, the cat man from the Dodgers uh, with a 1.58 ERA. He pitched a gem last night. I believe he gave up a one earned run on a solo shot from the White Sox hottest hitter. Uh, I think he pitched six innings, a couple of strikeouts. His stuff wasn't the best it's been all year, but he still pitched six one one run, six innings of one run ball. So uh, he's kind of been an unsung hero for the Dodgers this year. Uh, coming into one five eight ERA uh, point, or I guess two hundredths behind the leader in first at a one five six. I mean, he's been huge with guys like Walker Bueller, Julio Arias, maybe not having their best stuff to start the year. Clayton Kershaw with a little injury stint on the IL um, coming back next week for the later this week for the Dodgers. It sounds like, but you know, they kind of needed a couple guys to step up and Tyler Anderson. He's got a tub sub two sixty RA, but Tony Gonsolin with a one five eight. It's been crazy. Um, he's kind of always had really good outings sporadically and he's finally coming coming along. Um, really love to see that from him. Looks like an ace right now, which is awesome. Dowdy, I, I mean, I doubt any pitcher keeps the, the sub two ERA the whole year, but um, definitely really good stuff from him so far. And then coming to number one, maybe the biggest surprise in this list, uh, Martin Perez or Martin Perez from the Texas Rangers coming at a 156 ERA. Like I said, 200 over Tony Gonzalez in second place. So, uh, I, you know, Martin Perez keeps up his tear for the Rangers. He's been on, had a great year so far. Again, an unexpected name here. I think of the, of the, you know, the first four names I listed, those are guys that, you knew were pretty solid pitchers. Um, maybe didn't expect them to be here, but Martin Perez, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but he kind of came out of nowhere this year with a one five six. Um, really good for the Rangers, a team that's not been very good all year. They're sitting below five hundred right now, but definitely a building block piece for them. Typically, I'd say maybe he's not a Ranger, but I think the Rangers have a bright future. They've got you know maybe the best middle infield in baseball with Seager and Simeon. Um, Marcus Simeon's been picking it up lately. They've got Josh Josh Young uh, on a rehab for the rest of the year, but. He comes back next year, should slot in at third base and start immediately for them with a high-impact guy. I mean, their their team looks really good um, for the future. So I think Martin Perez is definitely an asset they hold on to at the trade deadline. Yeah, no, those five guys right there, 
like you said, five guys that maybe you wouldn't expect, but really impressive stats from them to kick off the year here as we're kind of the third the third through the season so far. Uh, as we shift strikeouts here, staying with the pitchers, uh, and a couple guys tied for number four here in Dylan Cease of the White Sox and Garrett Cole of the Yankees right there at 81. Real impressive. Um, you know, 300 strikeouts in a season is kind of like like incredible uh, in terms of like MLB standards. And it seems like we might have a couple guys get there, uh, which would be pretty impressive for them. I don't think the two guys that are on pace have either done it before. So that would be really cool to see. But, you know, from Cole and Cease, two impressive guys that, for the most part, I mean, they'll occasionally have like a blow up outing. But they're maybe more consistent than other guys on this list, obviously. You know, another one won the Cy Young, but Cole's playing the AL East is tough as a lot of really good hitters. Luckily, he doesn't have to face his own lineup. Um, but, you know, facing the rest of the AL, it's not too hard. So some of those strikeouts may be inflated just because of that. Um, coming at number three, Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers, 84. Impressive stuff. Not surprising to see him here. Strikeouts are kind of his thing. Uh, won the Cy Young last year, and he's really kind of held down that rotation there in Milwaukee this year. His ERA has slipped a little bit, but still been a really solid pitcher for the Brewers. Number two, Aaron Nola, a guy that's been playing real consistent. Um, 85 Ks, one better than Corbin Burns. I don't know if he stays up here the whole year. Um, you know, the Phillies are kind of reshuffling some things and trying to figure out what the deal is. Um, but they get hot pretty quickly, so we'll see how that goes. And I think I think Aaron Nolo will finish the season strong. He could finish right there at the top. He could be number one. I mean, I don't know. Too early to tell, obviously. And then number one, Shane McClanahan, who I believe was number one last time we did a stats update yeah. for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, like I said, AL East, he's in the lead by 13 Ks at 98. Um, yeah, I mean, he has to face the Yankees lineup, but – Facing the rest of the AL, I mean, you're bound to have a good bit of strikeouts there. Uh, but nonetheless, really impressive numbers for him. I'm not sure how many starts he's had. So while he's a good bit ahead of the pack, I don't know if he's had more starts or not. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we've seen him up here pretty much the whole season. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this trend continue and see him right there at the top for the whole season. Yeah, McClanahan's been on one. I believe he does have – he's got – he's tied for the most wins. of like five or six guys tied with seven wins. Um so it's, I think he's got the same amount of starts as everybody else. Um, I can check real quick while I'm kind of hitting on this real quick. But, yeah, I mean, not not a super surprising list per se. I mean, you figure Cole, Burns, and Noel are going to be there. Those are huge strikeout guys. Dylan Cease, another young guy who's really big on strikeouts. Um, and then Shane McClanahan, he's kind of made his money. Early, he's really young, um, made his money on strikeouts early in his career. So um, pretty impressive stuff there from him. I mean, he's been on one this year. His ERA is a one eight seven, so he barely missed that. I think he's – Six, so he barely missed being on the list for the ERA guys. Um, I think he's been the best pitcher in the MLB so far this year. So, um, pretty impressive stuff from him early on. Certainly, what the Rays need for sure. Um, you know, a young looks like a, a perennial Cy Young guy, um, building block for them. So, really good stuff from them. We'll kind of move on to the last uh pitching category here. Kind of get into the. I wanted to add a, a category this week um, for saves because I feel like relievers are a huge part. Of, the bullpens are the huge part of the game, and you know it's not always. You don't always get starters to go seven or six or seven innings, so got to rely on the bullpen. I think the biggest part of the bullpen, and you know guys who get paid a bunch of money or closers, and so I wanted to kind of hit on saves this week. 
Um, coming at number five on the saves list is Kenley Jansen of the Atlanta Braves with 15 saves at an 83% save percentage. Um, kind of wanted to give that as well because some of these guys, Kenley Jansen has a ton of save opportunities, probably has one of the most in the league. He's not converting every time, but it's an, at an 83% clip is pretty solid. Um, that's above league average, I'm pretty sure. So um, 83% is pretty solid. He's a really good closer, always has been. Uh, continues to be for the Braves in his new home this year in Atlanta. I got two guys tied at number three here, Jordan Romano and Liam Hendricks uh, from the <clears throat> pardon me from the Blue Jays and White Sox, respectively. Uh, Liam Hendricks, not a shock here. He's top three closer in the league, top two closer in the league. And they came in Josh Hader, kind of the, con- the consensus one and two. Um, he's been atop the league for a long time. So uh, he's at an 89% clip on his save percentage. And then Jordan Romano is at 84%. So Two really good percentages there. I think anything over, you know, 85, 88% is really, really good. Um, it's You're not going to be perfect. So uh, Hendricks at an 89% percentage is pretty is pretty solid. He'll definitely be an all-star. Um, and we got two guys tied at number one. We've got Taylor Rogers of the Padres at 18, as well as Josh Hader of the Milwaukee Brewers at 18. Josh Hader's kind of been the best closer in the MLB for probably three or four years now. Um, I don't really think it's up for debate, to be honest. I don't think anybody really debates it. Um Guy's got 18 saves and 95% clip. It's it's really impressive. I mean, he's missed one save um, of his 20 or his 19 opportunities, and he's missed one. Um, so that's really impressive. Um, I think he's got – or, no, he's got, uh, I believe, yeah, 19 opportunities, 20 saves, something like that. 20, 19 or 20 opportunities with 18 saves is great. Um, he'll probably be atop the list at the end of the year. The Brewers lean on him super heavy. But you can when the guy pitches – under 12 pitches an outing and it's one inning sometimes. So, um, but Taylor Rogers, a guy who's been really big for the Padres this year on um, the kind of they've needed always kind of not needed, but they've always kind of had a couple different guys in that back end closer spot. I think they've really nailed it down with Rogers this year. It was Mark Melanson last year for most of the year. Um, this year, it's Taylor Rogers. I think Taylor Rogers probably stays there. Um, so they kind of nailed it down. He's really probably had his best career year so far. Um, you know, that meant that they're going to hope he keeps it up, but, uh, not a super big shock with this list. Um, Jansen, Hendricks, Hader, Romano, you know, all top 10 closers. So no, no shock here with this list. Yeah. Like you said, these are guys that are pretty much always right there at the top in terms of the best closers in the game. You know, some have been doing, doing it longer than others. Um, but nonetheless, impressive from all those guys. Um, I mean, on pace for nearly 60 saves is really impressive. As we shift to the offensive side though, um, we're going to start off with the bad and average here. Got a few MVP, early MVP candidates in the NL and then a couple guys from the Red Sox. Um, we're going to start out here with Manny Machado from the Padres. Been 329. It seems like since the year kicked off, he's been right up around 330. Playing really well over there for the Padres, and I think he'll keep it up throughout the season. I mean, he's done it most of his career, batting around 300, so a really good player for them. Going at four, Paul Goldschmidt, another guy that's been doing it most of his career, much like Machado um, for the Cardinals. He's looked really good for most of the year, batting at 341 currently. A couple Red Sox here. First off, Rafael Devers from the from Boston, like I said, uh, batting 342. So just above Goldschmidt there for the third spot. He's looked good. A real young guy that came in the league not too long ago. He's looked really good for them ever since he came in. Expect that number to stay probably not at 340, maybe closer to 315, 320, but a really solid hitter for them. J.D. Martinez, um, the Red Sox as well, hitting 353. He's looked really good all season. Uh, I know when 
he's played Orioles. It's been really good. And I mean, Boston's getting really good hitters. Um, their front office maybe doesn't do the best with their guys, but they, they know how to scout guys and get guys in the house. And I mean, they acquired JD Martinez from the Tigers and it's worked out really well for him these past few years. Then coming in at number one, Luis Arias from the Twins in 361, a kind of shocking number here. Um, I assume this is with enough at-bats. Um, but, I mean, hitting 361 is real impressive. At uh, the top of the top, playing, you know, the best in the world. It's incredible hitting 361. You know, we're a third of the way through the season. I think these numbers probably go down, I think, the winner at the end of the season is probably around 340, 335. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, most of the guys on this list are regulars, and it's impressive to see from guys hitting so well in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I guess from the last time we did this, Machado, Goldschmidt, JD, and Arias were all here. Um, the only new guys, Devers, swapping with Tim Anderson. So pretty consistent list. This list probably stays fairly consistent as the year goes on. I think kind of as we get into the meat of the season here pretty soon is when averages kind of start to settle a little bit. Um, obviously, they're going to change. Guys going to go on hot streaks, but um, like Paul Goldschmidt's been on a tear lately and he's kept the average up, but some of these guys won't last. Some of them will. I mean, it's the batting average leaders every year kind of change. Um, you know, guys, I don't think a guy bats 361 all season. I don't think that's going to happen. Same with 353. But I think the leader's probably going to sit around 340 to 320. So who knows what it ends up landing at? I think it's probably going to be one of these guys. You know, when you start this hot, it's it really helps. There's a couple of guys batting in the 300s, like Trey Turner's batting like 304. He, he won the National League batting title last year. So a guy who could sneak up at some point, consistent hitters. Um, Devers been on a tear lately, got it up to 342. So who knows if he keeps it there? Who knows if Goldie keeps it there? Who knows? I mean, there could be a guy that bats 450 in the month of June and shoots up this board. We have no, we have no idea, but I I think it'll start to settle here pretty soon and kind of get consistent with the top eight-ish. Um, so that should be good pretty soon to see this kind of settle in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see these guys produce early. I mean, the game is more fun, I think, when dudes are hitting for average. Um, you know, that's like old school traditional baseball. I know we touched on it a few weeks ago and we've multiple times, but I like it. Um, hopefully when they do away with the shift next year, it'll also help averages. Maybe you're not going to see as many long balls, but it's fun to see, you know, guys string some hits together and get some runs across the board. Yeah, no doubt. Um, like you said, I, I average hitters, it's boring for some people. I think it's great. I think there's beauty in a guy who can just, you know, rip out a, a single or a double every game. Uh, I think there's there's beauty in it. I think it's kind of a lost art these days. So we're glad to see the leader at 361 right now. That's pretty impressive. So see if it holds, like I said. But we'll kind of move into the more power stats here with RBIs. Um, number five, we've got Francisco Lindor, uh, the New York Mets at 45. He's really turned it on, um, kind of – this middle, this last month of May is really turning on. Um, good for good, good for the game to see him kind of get back into a groove. Kind of had a really, really bad 2021 and a rough end of 2020. So 
Um, for a guy who was on a, on a tear in, you know, the first, you know, 2018, 2019, a couple of rough years in 2020, 2021. Um, good to see him kind of get back into it. And then he's tied at number five with a crosstown Yankee, Aaron Judge at 45. Um, the guy's been all over the field this year. He's been crazy. One of the best hitters in the majors. Uh, you know, probably a top three hitter in baseball this year so far, if not number one. Uh, he, he's been on a tear. Is my AL MVP pick. Looks good right now. Who knows? We have three months of baseball to play, four months of baseball to play. So luck and change in four months of baseball. But really good start to his year. At number four, we got Trey Turner of the Los Angeles Dodgers at 46. Just one ahead of Judge and Lindor. Um, again, guy, he, he was the batting average champ for the NL last year. Um, I think he had a, he had a 26 game hitting streak that got broken. I believe it was on, what's today, Tuesday, Thursday. So I think it was on Monday or Tuesday it got broken. Maybe no, I think it was Sunday um, against the Mets. Got broken, but a guy who's been hitting the ball really well this year. Um, not a big home run power hitter, but he's always good for a single or a double um, that can score some runs. So when you, listen, when you have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman in front of you, you get a base hit, you're probably scoring one of those guys. So it's pretty easy for him to get RBIs, but nevertheless, you still got to deliver, you still got to hit the ball. So props him for doing that. At number three, probably the hottest hitter in baseball so far this year, just kind of all around um, stats has been Paul Goldschmidt of the St. Louis Cardinals coming in at 47 RBIs. Had a ridiculous month of May. Uh, him and Mookie Betts had two crazy months, and only one guy gets National League Player of the Month. It was it was Goldie. Both guys were deserving. Um, Goldie probably edged him out a little bit, just with a couple better all-around numbers. So 47 RBIs for him to start the year is pretty great. And we got two guys tied at number one. We've got Pete, big, strong guy, Alonzo. I mean, how could a big, strong guy like him not be tied for number one in RBIs? And then we've got Jose, not as strong as Pete Alonso Ramirez. Listen, if he was stronger than Pete Alonso, he'd be ahead of him in RBIs. So he's just not as strong as Pete Alonso from the Cleveland Guardians with 54. And Pete, big, strong guy, Alonso with 54. Um, like I said, how can a big, strong guy like Pete not be number one in RBIs? That's just how it's going to be. Big, strong guy like him. Maybe he's not hitting a bunch of homers, though he is on the home, on the home run leaderboard. I'll spoil that a little bit from the next thing that Brett talks to us about here with the home run leaderboard, but you know, he's going to sack fly a lot. He's going to fly out really deep, you know, all that power and a big, strong guy like him, going to fly out to the warning track a lot, a lot of really hard hit, hard hit infield balls that, you know, maybe eats up a third baseman or a shortstop that just scores a run, you know, can't get, can't get to home and, and, you know, get the runner out at home, the lead runner. So big, strong guy like him, you know, Pete, Pete, just, he's just so big and strong. Got to be a top yard by leaderboard here. And no shade to Jose, Jose Ramirez. He's just not as strong as Pete. I mean, of course, I, w- I wouldn't expect anything less here. Having 54 RBIs is impressive from both Jose and Pete, but I don't know. Jose Ramirez is always a dude that's hit really, really well, hit for average, hit for RBIs. Um, you never really see him on the power board, but he's always just been a true pro hitter. Alonzo's just getting his numbers based off of bombs for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you're a big, strong guy like Pete is um, – you got to rack up the RBIs and he's doing so, so far this year. So it'll be fun to see how this race shakes out when the season comes to a close. We'll shift to home runs here, staying in the offensive side of things. Um, the guys that lead RBIs are most of the time leading in home runs, uh, unless you have a high average, but we got six guys in the top five, a couple ties uh, tied for fifth. We got Christian Walker of the diamondbacks at 15 and Austin Riley of the Braves at 15 as well. Um, Riley, maybe more so than Walker, has been a more proven hitter over the years. Walker's kind of up and coming here, played really well so far. Um, obviously, 15 home runs is really impressive here. Coming at number three, I'm real disappointed by this. We have a couple ties, but, I mean, Pete, big, strong guy, Alonzo, 
it's a little disappointing here. See him at three on the list with 16 bombs uh, from the Mets, obviously. I thought he would be much higher on the list personally. Uh, I don't know if others share that same feeling, but I thought he would be a little higher. Uh, 16 isn't bad, but I expect more from him. Mookie Betts putting together a solid season, been hot as of late from the Dodgers at 16 as well. Don Alvarez from the Astros at 17, kind of leading the charge there offensively for Houston. Uh, has looked really good throughout the season, obviously, 17 bombs. Coming at number one, 22 in the Little League ballpark there up in the Bronx. Plays for the Yankees. Aaron Judge with 22. Um, but, yeah, 22 homers, 45 RBIs is really impressive for Judge so far. I don't know if that holds, like you said, but it's real impressive to see that going against good competition within the division. Um, I don't know how many of these numbers stay. I don't know kind of what hitters increase their production. A lot of the times post-All-Star break is a lot less offensive as pre. Um, so obviously the numbers you say, okay, this guy has 22 home runs through this many games. He's projected for this. Likely going to finish under that number. Um, maybe some guys that are on the list right now have big second halves and maybe creep up onto the list when the season's over. Yeah, I think you touched on a really good point. I kind of want to expand on it. Um, baseball's always a little more pitcher-friendly post-All-Star break, and that's, in my opinion, because pitchers have an entire first half of the year to look up, to watch on a scouting report. You know, a guy can a guy can reconstruct his entire swing in an offseason and come back and be an absolute monster one year. Or a young guy like Christian Walker can have a, you know, kind of a great offseason and kind of and kind of launch his career off of a one, you know, really good start to a year. So. Um, a guy that's unexpected, you know, you're not expecting to have to pitch around Christian Walker, but teams are going to have to now. So, you know, I think you make a really good point. And I, again, I think it's something we should definitely expand on. And I think it's kind of one of the nuances of baseball that you really don't see in any other sport for the most part is that pitchers tend to dominate a little bit more as you kind of get later in the season. Pitchers get, and, and I think we see it. And I think the ERA leaderboard is reflective of it. You don't see guys at the top of the list like, Corbin Burns, you don't see Walker Buehler, you don't see Max Scherzer. Granted, Scherzer and DeGrom are hurt, but those are two top pitchers in the MLB. Garrett Cole's on that list. He's in the strikeouts list, but he's not a top ERA list. So I think as you see these dominant pitchers get further into the season, they've got more to, one, watch on players, and two, they've been working on their pitches a little bit longer, a little deeper into the season. So um, I think that's a good point you, you kind of touched on there, and I wanted to expand a little bit on that. And then well, I forgot to put this on our, on our little planning sheet here, but um, a couple – not a many, just a couple big series we can want to throw on there before we move to college baseball because I kind of forgot. Uh, the Dodgers start a three-game set in San Francisco in San Francisco against the Giants to, uh, tomorrow, goes through Sunday. Uh, that should be really big in the AL West kind of race there. With the Giants, I believe, six games back from the Dodgers in first. Um, and then the, and then on Tuesday, the Milwaukee Brewers head to New York, head to New York to play the Mets for, I believe, what's going to be a three-game set ending on I want to say it should be Friday. Um, let me double check that real quick. I should be Friday. Yeah, I think it's a three-game set ending Friday, so it uh, should be really a bit, really big series there. Um, two, you know, NL contenders that should be kind of going at it all year, um, kind of fighting for that two to three seeding. Then when the Dodgers and the Padres, so uh, should be a really big series there. And then we'll kind of get to the rest of the series maybe the weekend after next week. Yeah, I mean, every weekend we got some exciting series. Just. A little bit different each week. Uh, divisional races are always key this time of the year, really any time of the year. But, I mean, as you go through the season, they become more and more important. Um, but it should be fun to see how these stats shake out. 
think that's pretty much all we have for the MLB. All-Star break is going to come up here pretty soon. Uh, it's about five weeks away, if I had to say. Uh, but, yeah, Just I mean, about. speaking on the offensive stats being better in the pre-All-Star break versus post, I mean, you look back even last year, Otani had, I think, like twice as many bombs the first half as he did the second half. Uh, I know about 10, eight, eight to ten years ago, Chris Davis, the Orioles had – 30 something bombs and he finished with 53. So a lot of the times you see guys with high offensive production kind of tail off pretty hard there second half of the year. But we're going to shift to college baseball here and we're going to start off with Texas Tech as we normally do. Their, their campaign this past year came to an end as they were eliminated in the semifinals of the Statesboro double elimination regional. They played number one seed Georgia Southern, number two seed Notre Dame, and the number four seed UNC Greensboro. Without getting into too much detail, uh, the offense was non-existent, the entire regional, and the pitching was stellar. Tech dropped the opener to the Fighting Irish 3-2. to two. They eliminated both UNCG 2 to nothing and the host, Georgia Southern, 3-1 to one in back-to-back days to stay alive. And while they were still facing elimination, having lost their opening game, uh, they faced off with Notre Dame again, as Notre Dame had yet to lose. So they would have to beat Notre Dame twice to win the regional, advance to the super regional, and keep their season alive. And instead of doing that, they lost the first matchup, two to one. Um, obviously, when you give up three, zero, one, and two runs through four games, you look, all right, we should probably win at least three of those. Um, they went two and two. Real unimpressive showing from the Red Raiders. Uh, if you can't tell by the scores, they put up eight runs in four games while in Statesboro. Uh, it's not going to do much for you. They would finish the season 39-22, and 22, uh, very much a down year in recent memory here for the Red Raiders as they've made four trips to Omaha in the past nine seasons. Um, be looking for a kind of bounce-back year from them next year, maybe 45 wins, if I had to say off the bat, kind of 45 maybe to 50. Uh, if you think about how many games they lost this year, they really could have won. I mean, you're talking 45 wins. And then when you play those extra games in the Supers, um, you get to 50 maybe. I mean, those might seem like lofty expectations, but it's been done before and it should be done. Uh, a lot of guys coming in, a lot of guys coming back. Should be fun to see how the roster shakes out this offseason. No news yet. I know Brandon Birdsell, the ace of the staff, pretty much – said his farewell on social media yesterday, basically just saying thanks for the past two years being at Tech um, as he kind of pursues that pro career, likely to be a top three-round draft pick here in the MLB draft in July. Yeah, uh, I think very much a down year really sums up the year for the Red Raiders. Um, They start off with, I guess, first game of the year, exciting, comeback win against Michigan, and then they dropped the first. As they go one and two in global, I've start the year. Really disappointing start um, to the season for them. I mean, I think you said it. Offense was non-existent. Pitching was stellar. It was incredible. The best has been all year. Um, kind of an exact mirror image of what Texas Tech had done the whole season. So, you know, typically the whole year it was the offense was putting up six, seven runs a game, and the and the staff just couldn't hang. You know, pitching staff couldn't couldn't hang with them. So. To see that kind of flip, uh, if you had told me that the Red Raiders are going to hold up, you know, in four games, hold opponents to, you know, 
three runs, zero runs, one run, and two runs. I told you they were winning ball games, and they were on to the Super Regional to go play um, the winner of the Knoxville Regional. So really disappointing end of the year. Um, I can't help but feel terrible for guys like uh, um, guys like Hampton, guys like you know Sanders, guys like even Burtzelm and, and Morris. I mean, you got Molina, guys that pitch some of their best outings of the year. And I guess not Morris and Bert, Bert's had a great outing. Morris, not so much, but guys like Hampton, guys like Sanders, you know, Becker, all, all these bullpen names, Divine, guys who had really struggled. Jamie Hitt, guys who really struggled this year that came out and, and balled out when they needed to in the, in this, in the regional. And, you know, for an offense that was the best in the Big 12, um, to come out and just flop was really disappointing. Um, disappointing from really all parties involved. Although I will say, Jace Young, had a ball that was hit that would have been a home run at every other college ballpark in America uh, in the two to one loss in Notre Dame ended up scoring one run. Their only run of the game would have been a two run bomb literally anywhere else. But Georgia Southern has this like 30 foot wall in right field. And Jace being a, a left-handed hitter, he pulled it down the line and he, he crushed it. That ball would have gone probably 350 plus feet, a, a homer at literally every other college ballpark in America the, where it was hit. I mean, it's almost all the way down the line, but it hits like, 10 feet to five feet, you know, down on the, down the top of the bottom of the or top of the wall. So, um, you know, they, I guess maybe it's a different story. Maybe they play, maybe they won the game in Notre Dame. Then, you know, maybe they beat them the next day, but either way, either way you paint it, either way you look at it, disappointing end of the year for them, but um, not really much you can do now. Uh, kind of move on to the super regional matchups. Like I said, the winner of our regional being Notre Dame was going to go face the winner of the Knoxville regional that was Tennessee. So the Knoxville regional set or super regional set with Notre Dame facing off against number one ranked Tennessee. Um, they've been number one all year for the most part, going back to probably mid-March. They look like the number one team. They've been the best team in the country. Um, they've been given a couple of close games as of late, but they've got three of the best pitchers in the country. I think they're going to be fresh. I think they swiftly take care of Notre Dame. Um, got the Stanford regional where uh, UConn takes on number two ranked Stanford, the host. Um, Stanford had a close call against Texas State, a really good Texas State team in their regional, but uh, pulled it out at the end with uh, two straight solo shots and then a, a walk-off from a true freshman in their, I guess, final elimination game, a winner go home in their regional. And then out in Corvallis, staying on the West Coast, got number three Oregon State hosting and number 14 Auburn. Uh, two regional regional hosts move on to the Supers, Oregon State hosting the Super Regional. In Blacksburg, you've got uh, the number four Virginia Tech Hokies taking on Oklahoma. Uh, two really hot teams, teams that rolled through their regional. Um, Oklahoma with one loss in their regional, but took care of Florida out in Gainesville. Um, for, both teams are really hot coming to their regionals. Virginia Tech, I think, put up a 24 spot in one of their games. So two offenses that have really been pitting the ball well. Uh, College Station, the number five Texas A&M Aggies are going to host the number 12 Louisville Cardinals. Uh, should be a really good series there. I think this should probably go three games. Um Louisville's been really good as of late. They 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 battled back and and caught and fought their way back against Michigan and even against Oregon in their elimination game and in, in, in their, uh, their their regional. So should be really good there. And then uh, got Greenville Regional, uh, maybe the most competitive I think that we'll have is going to be Texas Longhorns traveling to Greenville to, to play the host East Carolina Pirates. Should be really good. I'm pulling for East Carolina. I think they get the dub, but should be a really good series. Probably goes three games. Got Chapel Hill Regional, or Super Regional, rather, with the UNC Tar Heels hosting the Arkansas Razorbacks. A down year for Arkansas, but they really turned it on late. Um, they hit the crap out of the ball in the Stillwater Regional as at Oklahoma State. Um, 
I want to say there was like a hundred runs scored in like the last 23 innings of the, or 20 something innings of, of that, of that regional. So it's crazy. Um, should be really, really high scoring there in the Hattiesburg regional going to wrap it up here with Southern Miss, the 11 seed hosting Ole Miss, kind of a, a role reversal here. Typically you'd think it'd be Ole Miss hosting Southern Miss, but Southern Miss had a great year this year. They're hosting Ole Miss with a down year. Um, again, should be really competitive regional there, super regional rather. Yeah, these eight super regional matchups, eight teams headed to the College World Series. Like you said, Ole Miss uh, has come on strong, real strong late in the year here. Um, getting to the Supers with the way their season looked halfway through is really impressive. But, yeah, I mean, there's a few really competitive series in here, I think, a few overlooked series, and they should all be fun to see how they shake out. We're going to give you all some picks. Uh, we're going to kind of, if we want to alternate with each series. So we'll start off with the Knoxville Regional. I'm going to go with Tennessee, number one team, uh, pretty easy pick. Yeah, I'm sticking with that one, Tennessee. I mentioned earlier, I think they're going to beat Notre Dame in two games. Their pitching stats are really good. They're hitting the ball well. They're clutch, maybe the most clutch team in the country. So stick with the number one team in the country. Yeah, that's an easy pick there. Uh, another pretty easy pick here, the Stanford Regional, where the Cardinals have looked really good all season long. They finished off Oregon State to win the Pac-12. I'm going to go with them to beat UConn. Uh, I'll say three games. Yeah, I'm taking Stanford. I'll take them in two. Um, I mean, UConn's hot, but I just don't think they're on the same level as, as Stanford. I thought Stanford got a tough draw with Texas State being there, too. I thought Texas State was one of the best two seeds in the tournament, um, in the regional tournament. They're really good. Uh, their resilience from Stanford makes it hard to not pick them, so got to go with Stanford here. Yeah. Um, first, maybe tough pick here would be the Corvallis Super Regional, where – Number 14, Auburn Tigers won their own regional. They'll make the cross-country trip to Oregon State. I'm going to take Oregon State there in three games. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. It was a tough pick, but I'm ultimately going to pick Oregon State. I think the road trip's going to be hard. Ooh, going to be hard for Auburn. Granted, you're going to get a bunch of rest, but Corvallis is a really tough place to play, too. Really passionate baseball fans up there. The weather's not always great in Oregon. Um, so I'm going to go with Oregon State, kind of the home team, getting the home field advantage there. Yeah, and no, I know we're pretty much somewhere – we think the same team is going to come out of each Super Regional for the most part. Um, but, I mean, every team is kind of hot and cold, and the rankings may say one thing and we might think something else. Um, and, obviously, I mean, you're just picking between two teams who's going to win the series. But as we shift to the College Station Regional, uh, this one should be fun as well. The number 12 Louisville Cardinals play the number five Texas A&M Aggies. Like you said earlier, uh, I'm going to take Louisville in this. You know, they scored seven in the first inning of that finale in their own re regional against Michigan. Then we're down 9-7. Michigan scored nine unanswered. And then, you know, Louisville came in clutch, scored two in the bottom of the eighth to tie, and then they won it later on a walk-off. Uh, real exciting game there and regional overall. So I think Louisville's going to stay hot and knock off the Aggies. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there uh, for one reason. I think this goes three games. I think it's a really, really good regional. Uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, and I guess these combined for one real reason, but Louisville's been super gritty all year. They've been a team that just refuses to lose in big games. Um, I don't really think AM's been tested. I, I didn't love their region, to be honest with you. I didn't really think they got tested too much. I mean, who, who was their two seed? Their two seed was um, TCU. And I thought TCU was a weak two seed. They won the Big 12 regular season, but I think they, they won that off of solely sweeping Texas Tech in Fort Worth. If they hadn't, if they'd have lost one more game, Texas Tech would have won it. 
Oklahoma State would have up there. So I think I also don't think TCU was hot in the year. They really weren't. They they weren't a very hot team to, to close the season. They didn't look good in the Big 12 tournament. I don't think they were tested. So I think Louisville's battle tested. They've played in really big, which I think matters for baseball teams, um, especially college baseball. So I think Louisville again. They just they, they just don't they don't want to lose. They don't want to die. So I'm gonna stick with Louisville here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good pick. Kind of both the reasons we gave are pretty much why we think Louisville is going to head on to Omaha. But as we keep it going here, we have the Greenville Regional and what could be the most competitive. Uh, it is the most competitive standings-wise. Number nine, Texas Longhorns will travel east to play the East Carolina Pirates. Uh, the Pirates were the eight seed, which means they're the last seed that if they come out of the regional, they will host a super, and that was the case here. I'm going to go with UT here. Uh, I really want East Carolina to win, obviously, but I don't think they will. I think, you know, when a dude on your team has 30 home runs and then the other guys are hitting pretty well, it's going to be hard to lose. I mean, East Carolina, I think UT is going to win game one, but if East Carolina is going to have a shot, they're going to have to win game two and three, which is going to be tough against UT. Um, So I'm going to take UT winning games one and three. I think this is gonna be. I think this is the first one we're gonna differ on here. This is the first one we're gonna differ on. Um, I'm gonna go with East Carolina here. I think the home field advantage is what's gonna do it for them. I think batting last in game one and three is gonna be huge. Um, I also think that their their pitching is a little bit, at least at the top, their pitching's been a little bit better than Texas this year. Texas pitching has been really hit or miss. And I think at home, Eastern Carolina has been – they've been really, really fueled by that home crowd. I think it's going to be a massive East Carolina crowd. This is maybe the biggest tournament that they've ever – probably the biggest three three games that they've ever had at that ballpark. Um, so I think I think East Carolina gets it done. I think it's going to be three games and it's going to be really competitive. But I think probably in a late game three, eighth or ninth inning bomb uh, is going to win it for East Carolina. So I'm going to take Eastern Carolina. What's well, probably going to be an upset. I think most people are picking Texas – um, but I just think the Texas pitching has been too inconsistent. That bullpen has been – you talk about hit or miss. That bullpen has been hit or miss all year. There have been times they've shut guys down, and there have been times where they've blown massive leads. So I'm going to go with East Carolina. They're hot. Again, I don't think – Texas was not – they didn't see anybody of – they had the weakest regional of anybody. So I think that they haven't been tested. Same reason the a going to win. They haven't been tested. They haven't played anybody good in a few weeks. So I'm sticking with East Carolina here for that reason, for the most part. And home – and most of our home field advantage, but – They've also been tested a little bit more, so I'm East Carolina. Yeah, it'll be fun to see, um, which would be a really good series there in Greenville. Chapel Hill is also having a super. The Arkansas Razorbacks, who were part of that crazy Stillwater Regional, um, beat the Cowboys in that finale of the championship game there. Really fun game to watch. They looked really good. Um, playing number 10, UNC Tar Heels. Uh, I'm going to go with the Razorbacks here. I just think they're, you know, they had really good competition in the regional, and I think they're going to stay hot here. They have all the experience in the world. You know, they were number one pretty much the whole year last year, so I think they'll do it. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you, and I think it's the exact same reason as experience, getting hot at the right time. Um, I'm paying them to beat UNC. I think UNC's had a great end of their season, but um, I think it comes – I think they end their, I think their season comes to the end here. End of the road for them. I just Arkansas is getting hot at the right time. Their their bats are hot. Um, their pitching's hot. They've got some really good relievers. So I'm gonna go UARC here and just inexperienced teams and again get it done. Get all off. And to wrap it up uh, with our predictions, we got the Hattiesburg Regional, like you said, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, 
going with Ole Miss here. Um, similar reason that I went with Arkansas. You know, Southern Miss this is new territory for them. Ole Miss is a regular here. You know, they have a really strong program, really strong roster, and they play quality teams all year being in the SEC. So I'm going to go with them here. Um, I think Southern Miss does have a team to play well and match up against Ole Miss. Uh, they had really good pitching in the regional, but it'll be fun to see kind of how this shakes out. Yeah, I'm sticking with Ole Miss as well. I just – I think that they – again, they've got a, a veteran coaching staff, a veteran roster. Um, I think that pays dividends for you this late in the season, especially trying to get to Omaha in a hostile environment. So, I'm going to take Ole Miss to beat Southern Miss. I think it's going to be a great a great series, a really competitive series, but I'm ultimately going to go with, uh, with Ole Miss here. Um, and then kind of are looking at game times here, the Greensville – Blacksburg, Knoxville, and College Station series will start tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening. I believe 6, 6.30, 7.30, the game starts. Our first pitch starts, times for those games. And then um, Chapel Hill, Hattiesburg, Corvallis, and Stanford will all start on Saturday, um, meaning we'll have uh, – we'll know which eight teams are going to Omaha for College Series no later than Monday. Um, so we'll have that whole slate for you guys on Thursday next week. We'll have our picks. Um, we'll have some – maybe some hot takes from the cold seats potentially – um, really looking forward to it. I love college baseball, love college world series. Definitely going to watch the supers this weekend. So I'm really excited for it. Um, but yeah, it should be great. Yeah, I know this is where it gets fun. I like watching college baseball playoffs and how they got it all working. It's really exciting to watch. Um, as we shift to basketball on the pro level here, not much in college this week. Uh, so nothing to touch on there, but in terms of the NBA, I mean, we got one series left a little bit ahead of the NHL in terms of the playoffs. But this past week, the NBA Finals tipped off. Uh, the Celtics took game one, in which most people, including the both of us, were surprised about. Uh, I put out a hot take from the cold seat last week, saying the Warriors would win game one by nine. They ended up losing by 12, um, 120 to 108. Steph was six of seven from three-point range in the first half and had 34 points for the game. But the majority of it came in the first half. Um, so my prediction was looking pretty good at halftime. I think they were up nine at some point in the third quarter. But the story of the night was the fourth quarter. Now, the Celtics overcame a 15-point deficit and played really good defense, outscoring Golden State 40-16. to uh, It just seemed like they went on a run that never ended to close out the game. Yeah, I mean, they went crazy from three to end that, to end that game. I think they were like 9 of 10 from three in the fourth quarter, and their only miss came with like two minutes left, and they had the game wrapped up. So um, really crazy fourth quarter. Um, you know, third quarter has kind of been – uh, the Golden State quarter this whole series. Um, game two past Sunday was really defensive, kind of matched the energy of that fourth quarter for Boston in game one, and both teams kind of stepped up defensively. Um, Golden State won the game and even the series, and they had a massive third quarter. I think they outscored Boston by 24 in the, in the third quarter. They led by 29 at one point, uh, I think early in the fourth. Uh, they played great defense, held the Celtics on the 38% from the field. Um, again, these teams have been bipolar, and I think game three is what we're also going to talk, about, to talk about in a second has kind of been a similar deal. Teams have, It's been a series of runs, and I think that's been – that's ring true for both teams this whole postseason, and, and really for the whole postseason for most teams. It's been a, a an NBA playoffs of, of hot streaks and cold streaks, so I'm really not sure what's going to happen the rest of this series, but um, game two, uh, Warriors even it up. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much expected that the Warriors would win that game, and I wasn't shocked when I, you know, saw they led by 29 and Celtics kind of had a poor shooting night. But game three was last night. Teams traveled up to Boston. Closest game of the series thus far, and the Celtics' defense was a story. Uh, Robert Williams, who's been a really underrated center there for the Celtics this year, 
had a great game defensively, and the Warriors only ever led by two the whole game, uh, which their largest lead, and only scored 11 points in the fourth quarter. Um, kind of weird to see from them there. Uh, the two losses, they have lost any hope of winning just pretty much by lack of offense in the fourth quarter. Um, and when you score 11, or really if you score less than 20 in the fourth, unless you have a huge lead, it's not going to bode well for you and your chances of winning. Um, but yeah, the Celtics defense looks good so far outside of a couple quarters in game two. They've looked solid. They've matched up really well with the Warriors. And I expect this to be a fun series the next few games. Yeah, I think this is going to go seven uh, when it's all said and done. I think, first of all, all of a sudden it's come out about the NBA refs and how it's basically confirmed that refs have been pushing series to go six and seven games for years now. One doesn't shock me, too. It makes me think this is going to go six or seven. Um, game four tops off, tips off tomorrow night at 9 Eastern in Boston on ABC and ESPN. Uh, Celtics open at minus four. Um, I think I'll take Golden State plus four. I think it's going to be a tighter game than games – one through three. I don't know if Golden State wins, but I think it's going to be a tight game. We could see a Jason Tatum winner. We could see, you know, we could see Golden State just win outright. I don't think it's going to be a tight game. Um, Steph kind of had a, a leg injury late in the game last night. It's, he's going to play, it sounds like. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be wrapped up, taped up super big. Uh, the, it's the concern for him is that he's had ankle problems in the past, so who knows. But uh, kind of move to game five. He's going to tip off from San Francisco on Monday night at 9 Eastern as well. Uh, Warriors open that game at minus three and a half. Um, you know, it feels like game four is kind of a must win for Golden State. You don't want to go down 3-1. So, but granted, Warriors have been on the, on the receiving end of a 3-1 lead being blown. So, you never know. I'm never going to put anything past Golden State. They're a team that could get hot at the right time and start shooting the lights out. Um, we've seen it in the past. We've seen it this year. So, um, should be a great game four, great game five. I expect this to go six or seven games. But – Got a little bit of a teaser coming right now. Expect maybe a mock draft Monday coming next week for the NBA. Gotten a couple of requests for it. Sounds like we're going to fulfill those requests. I'm not going to confirm it. I don't want to. I don't want to confirm it yet. But high likelihood we're getting mock draft Monday on Monday for the NBA. Brett and I don't know nearly as much about NBA prospects as we do NFL prospects. NFL prospects are bread and butter, but we know enough guys to do an NBA mock draft. We can do some reading, do some looking. Um, should be a really interesting mock. I'll say that should be an interesting draft in general. We, this is kind of the first time in a long time we don't have a consensus number one guy. Um, it's kind of a draft of three at the top, being um, Paolo Bancaro, uh, Jabari Smith, and Chet Holmgren. So should be interesting to see. High likelihood we're getting into that on Monday, so it's something to look forward to there. Yeah, real quick, touching on game four and five. Uh, Celtics favored by four tomorrow night. Now, finally not taking two days off, just one day off while they're in Boston. I'm going to take Celtics by six, so I'll bet the Celtics on that. Game five, I think the Warriors, you know, they'll be down 3-1. I think they're going to win that at home. Favorite three and a half, I'll take them by eight. Um, and then, yeah, mock draft Monday, kind of shifting here to the NBA. Um, it's going to be – we're kind of talking about it, but what we're kind of thinking is it would be two because uh, obviously this upcoming Monday and then the Monday after that and then later that second week would be the draft. Um, it would be two one-round mocks. Um, they just have two rounds, 30 picks each in the NBA mock draft, as there aren't nearly many players on the NBA roster, as there are NFL or MLB with all the minor leagues. Um, so, yeah, it should be really fun. You know, I've been, I've been studying NBA mock kind of prospects a lot more this year just because the Spurs have three first-round picks. Um, so that should be fun to do. Um, but, yeah, stay tuned. We'll probably – 
put some news out on that if it becomes official. That's pretty much it for the NBA. Just like we said, got the finals going on. Drafts coming up here soon. Um, kind of shift over to NFL. Yeah, we'll kind of run through the NFL. Now we're getting a little bit long here, just over an hour at this point. Um, kind of run through this a little bit. Uh, some big news in the NFL, though. Got the Denver Broncos have been purchased by the by Rob Walton of the Walton family. That's the Walton family that owns Walmart. Um, bought them for $4.6 billion. Um, I'm going to say this now. Rob, if you're listening, let me get a small sliver of that $4.6 billion. All I'm asking for is like a tenth of a percent. It's all I need, my guy. Just trying to get a bag. You got 4.6 bill to spend. Let me let me get a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Let's get some cold seat funding in here. Get it rolling. Um, but no, on a serious note, I kind of expected this for the past couple of years. Um, with Walmart, I say Walmart owning it, the Walton family owning it. I would expect a rebrand of the stadium at least. Um, right now it's Empower Field at Mile High. I would expect maybe Walmart Field at Mile High or like Empower Field at Mile High at Walmart Park if they wanted to get real long with it. Um you know, I don't know if they're going to do stadium mile high open in 2001 and it's, it's a very popular venue. I guess it's 21 years old now, but I mean, it's a, it's a nice venue. People like it a lot. It's a, it's a well-liked venue across the league. So um, granted, no one likes playing in Denver because it's mile high with elevation, but um, it's a nice venue. I don't expect them to get a new stadium yet. Maybe by 2030, 2035, they get a new one, but I would expect a definite rebrand of like the name sponsor of the stadium. Like I said, Walmart field at mile high, something of that variation where Walmart gets put in the name of the stadium. Um, I would expect that pretty soon. So, uh, but again, really big move here. I don't really know what this has in store for the team that Broncos aren't going to rebrand. They're like one of the most historic franchises of all time. I don't think they rebrand. I don't think they move. I think this is just kind of a, an acquisition that maybe they get some more money pumped, maybe in a new practice facility, you know, maybe like I said, rebrand of the stadium, who knows, but um, this is pretty cool. Um, you know, this is kind of like one of the first, I think, acquisitions of a pro team we'll see of maybe a wave of them here in the next year. I think the Blazers look like they're going to get bought probably. I don't buy this whole no-sale thing. And uh, maybe a couple of MLB teams might get bought here pretty soon too. So this is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's exciting to see kind of just when teams kind of switch things up. You know, the Broncos are already having a revamped looking roster this year, and it looks like they have revamped ownership now. So it'll be fun to see kind of what adjustments they make there. Uh, exciting for Broncos fans nonetheless, but in terms of players, the Los Angeles Rams superstar future Hall of Famer Aaron Donald received a contract restructure on his deal that is through 2025, so the next four seasons. It gives him a $40 million raise up from his current contract and brings his annual average value to $31.67 million, uh, that is, per year which places his contract value over the next three seasons at just over $90 million, which is just crazy. Um, he's the highest-paid non-quarterback in NFL history. But nonetheless, I mean, really well-deserved. He's been pretty much first ballot or first team all-pro every year of his career, uh, Super Bowl winner now. Really one of the most dominant players in the NFL, NFL history, um, most valuable non-QB in the league, definitely. And I think – this kind of sets the standard for guys in terms of like negotiation. You see, all right, this guy really can get whatever he wants and he has this number. You got to do this to get, you know, whatever number they want. Um, I mean, I don't know where the Rams are getting this money from, but it's cool to see him, you know, hopefully be in the league for the next four years. Maybe, maybe he calls it early, but I don't know why I would if I'm making that much money. Yeah. So I'll give a brief, very brief and shortened, 
kind of explanation on on the uh, I learned this yesterday. Listen to the McAfee show called Cash Over Cap. So essentially, the super like high cash owners like Kroenke, Jerry Jones, owners that have a ton of cash, are essentially paying their players in cash for these signing bonuses that are not as cap that don't take these massive cap hits. So these big market teams with a lot more cash have the ability to do this. Whereas like a team like green Bay, who's a smaller market team or say, I mean, even like a Cleveland, that's a smaller market compared to LA or Dallas. They don't have the cash to do that. They can't go pay. I guess Cleveland's a bad example because of Sean Watson, green Bay and another small market team, Jacksonville, they can't go pay these guys cash over cap because they don't have the cash to do it. So Aaron Donald, this contract this. Oh, so he has three more years on his deal through the end of the end of 22, I guess, into 2025, end of 2024 season, three more seasons on the deal. He gets his 90 million over those three years, but his cap hit, he, like he won't be counted 90 million against the cap in those years. Go look it up on YouTube. A former Packers owner did a great job explaining it on the McAfee show. I'd go watch it. It's like a five, 10 minute video. Watch it. I give a very brief overview. It doesn't do it justice, but the Rams spent some more money yesterday. They didn't just get Aaron Donald locked down. They gave, um, triple crown winner last year, Cooper Cup, um, who was an integral part of that Super Bowl run, a three-year, $78.5 million extension yesterday to remain with the Rams for at least the next five seasons. His total contract value now stands at five years, $110 million, averaging out at $22 million per year, which quite frankly is pretty reasonable considering what Tyreek Hill just got at like $28.5 a year and Devontae Adams at like $25 a year. So Cup getting $22 a year. Granted, his extension is a little more than that. But the way it's structured out over five years makes it work. Again, cash over cap, the Rams kind of have whatever money they want to play with here. So, um, but they get their guy locked up, spent a lot of money yesterday. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I think I've heard that term before. I just didn't know all the details to it. But, I mean, yeah, there's going to be little loopholes through everything that teams can do to get their guys under contract and stay with them. And the Rams are taking advantage and they're, doing a good job of that, keeping their top two caliber guys um, home for the next few seasons. To round out NFL news, uh, Deshaun Watson, the recently acquired QB of the Cleveland Browns, who was owed 230 guaranteed over the next five seasons, had a couple more lawsuits coming his way, as now 24 women are suing him for sexual misconduct. The chances that he plays at all this upcoming season are dwindling quickly with an official ruling and a suspension coming within the next four to five weeks. Not too shocked here. Uh, I thought this was coming. I'm glad the Texans got him off the books. I think the Texans are representing, helping represent the women that are suing. So that'll be fun to see how that shakes out. But yeah, I'll be really interested to see what the ruling is on, on Watson's suspension. Yeah. I mean, this is on Watson thing is kind of crazy. Um, I don't think he plays this year his lawyer has said some questionable things that have, that are quite frankly, very incriminating. Um, I believe the Texans are being a defendant of Watson is what it is. And they are, cause they paid for, and I don't want to get into much of this case. I'm only going to throw this in there cause you're going to be a defendant is that they basically like set up these meetings for him with like 66 different women or like 60 or 70 women over the course of like, maybe six, 70 appointments over the course of a year, but like the Texans helped him set up. So I think they're going to be a defendant of Deshaun Watson. Um, there may be a couple of people in the organization that are maybe called in by the prosecution, but um, this looks grim. Like you said, there his chances of playing are dwindling quick, quickly dwindling. Um, 
the longer this goes on, the more it looks like Deshaun Watson may never play again with the more that comes out and the more that's said and the more that comes to public light. Um, as of late, it sounds like the Cleveland Browns were unaware of the latest, I think the two latest women who have come forward with a lot more details that they weren't really aware of it. And it, you know, Watson and the legal team were supposedly like hundred percent forthcoming. It's clearly they weren't. Um, I mean, the Browns have royally screwed themselves here. Um, $230 million though to them and a dollar may never, like he may never play for a dollar of that. We have no idea. Um, I, I don't know. Not, not, not even to mention the draft capital they just moved for him. So, you know, he probably plays in 2023, 2024. I don't know. I, I mean, the MLB just suspended Trevor Bauer for two years. Granted, he's appealing it, but it's two-year suspension. The NFL is probably going to follow suit with a similar suspension. Maybe not two years, but it could be a year suspension. It wouldn't shock me. In fact, I'm, that's what I'd be betting on right now is a year suspension. So crazy how this plays out. Again, I don't want to get too much into this super controversial topic. Again, I don't want to get into it. But what's coming out right now is that the Browns didn't know all this stuff. So he, he looks bad right now. Yeah, it's definitely really weird to see. Uh, but best case scenario as a Ravens fan, you know, your division rival, one of my maybe top three, four hated teams um, is kind of getting screwed right now. Um, you know, they shelled out pretty much everything for this guy this past offseason. They ruined a relationship with their quarterback. They drafted number one overall. Um, their current quarterback is Jacoby Brissett, which they probably won't win more than seven games with. That's generous. Um, how, Seven games. How good That's their generous. roster. They, they got a good roster, but I don't think they get more than seven wins, um, which should be good. I, I really want to see Deshaun Watson play football, regardless of what his character may be. He's a great football player, and he's really good for the game itself when you have the best guys out on the field. I miss seeing him on the field. Uh, a great player, um, and it's disappointing that it has to be this way. Uh, but justice will be served – sooner or later, and it'll be interesting to see what the final ruling is. Um, like I said here, the, I think Goodell said by mid-July they should have a ruling. So, like you said, I expect it to be a year. Um, That's probably what it'll be. But as we round out our episode for the second consecutive week, we are going to introduce the now-named ice bath that you touched on to start off the episode. Call it the ice bath, keeping the theme cold of the cold seat podcast, as well as, you know, ice baths are used mainly for recovery. And they're normally after things, after workouts, after practices, after games. So we're doing it after the episode. Um, so we're each going to touch on two things this week. Sometimes it'll be one, sometimes it'll be two. Um, just kind of random things in sports that we saw um, that don't really, you know, make headlines in terms of like contracts or standings and stuff like that. So you want to get us kicked off we're just going to alternate through our two things to finish off the episode yeah no doubt first uh first i guess named ice bath segment of the pod super exciting um i'll start off with this one i was at the gym yesterday and i had a buddy send me this and i audibly laughed out loud when i was like i was like mid-set i audibly laughed out loud at the gym in front of all these people it's quiet i laughed out loud because this was i thought this was hilarious and i think most people have this reaction so the Pat McAfee show has, you know, their radio show, they have callers. So um, maybe the greatest radio show call in ever um, a young man named Owen, eight and a half years old calls into the Pat McAfee show yesterday. He told Pat how inspiring his show was now, how, how much he was talking about sports and his life. And um, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're 
thank you, Owen, all the stuff that they do, the thank you, whoever, and they're thanking Owen. Then he goes, he goes, also, screw Boston Connor, really loud. But he didn't say screw. He said, he said an expletive, starts with an F, ends with a K. Um, yelled that at eight and a half. I thought that was awesome. The whole the whole crew lost it. AJ on Zoom lost it. Um, it was awesome. The kid's like, clearly a young kid, the way his voice sounds. Um, it was awesome. He put Connor in a body bag. Those who don't know Boston Connor, I don't know Connor's last name, but he's like a personality on the, on the show. It's called the toxic table, him and Ty Schmidt. They're always like cracking jokes, like jokingly, like making fun of, like poking fun at like whatever they're talking about toxic table for a reason. They're kind of being toxic, but it's funny. It's all in good, good natured fun. Connor took it really well. He laughed, but really, really funny. Maybe the greatest call on a radio show ever. Um, the fact that there's eight and a half, clearly his dad and his buddies put him up to it. So like, I love it. But the fact they ended off with the, F word Boston Connor, like super loud is epic. Pat loved it. The whole show loved it. It was awesome. So shout out to that kid. Uh, he's awesome. He's a legend. He's going places. No doubt. Yeah, that was hilarious. Um, that's real funny that, you know, eight and a half years old to say, say that and get all that attention. Um, that's gotta be funny for Owen, but real quick, um, forgot to touch on this ice bath, uh, kind of inspired by, Kevin, Kevin Hart has a YouTube show where he has guests on and obviously Kevin Hart being a small dude, he's like five, four or whatever. He has a show called cold as balls. And it's where he has a small ice tub and there's one next to him and he has random guests on. He's had Marshawn Lynch, Blake Griffin, a bunch of big name people. Um, and that's where I got it from. Just kind of funny deals. We're kind of talking about these random things. Um, but as I kick off my first of the two random points yesterday in an interview on NFL Network, Orlando Brown Jr., who was the left tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs this past season, and for him, hopefully the foreseeable future as they kind of work out a contract, he talked about how he picked up tennis this offseason and how it helps him with his footwork as an offensive lineman. Uh, I don't know if Orlando like gave permission to the NFL Network to play the video of him playing tennis. But it was maybe like the least athletic clip I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the dude was like stepping, like if it helps him with his footwork, he was like crossing his feet over. Uh, looked like there were definitely a few shanks in there. This like short lady was like underhand tossing him a ball from three feet away. And he was like trying to hit it over the net and he was like hitting it onto like the other court out of bounds. I don't think tennis is the best for a six, eight, 340 pound offensive lineman um don't know i guess we'll see this year if his footwork is any improved as um his pass sets are kind of what's holding him back from being the top tackle in the league uh but it'll be interesting uh it's really weird to see an offensive lineman attempting tennis that was definitely funny to watch um don't know if i would watch it again uh, unless they have like a blooper highlight reel or something but i don't want to see orlando swinging a tennis racket that was not too appealing Listen, as a Chargers fan, if that's what he's going to work on that pass pro with, sign me up. Get him, get him on like the French Open. Get, get, you know what I mean? Like, cause tennis ain't going to do it for him. He should have his, he should have hit kick sets in his like tennis swing. It's not going to work, bro. It's not working. It, it didn't look good. It's not going to work. If that's what he's going to do to improve his pass pro, I think Joey Bose and Khalil Mack are probably watching the video going, man, let's get this guy playing some more tennis. Like, <laughs> it was terrible. Um, you don't see Rashawn. Yeah, Sager I don't know. I don't know if you or, see like Rafael Nadal. 
That's what I'm saying. He, you know, seen the dollar. These guys hitting, you know, yeah. uh, you know, kick sets for their tennis game. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how well it translates. Um, I mean, obviously, footwork's important in any sport, but picking up tennis of all things is a little bit weird. Listen, I, like I said, I'm with it. If that's what he's going to use to get that pass pro up, keep it rolling because that ain't working, my guy. Um, another thing that didn't work. We're going to move on to my my second and final. Uh, ice bath segment here it's something that did not work so the angels are on a 13 we're on a 13 game losing streak going into last night's game against the red sox they're back in anaheim they lose game one of the series in anaheim they go to game two thinking you know what we got to change the mojo around here gonna get it right so they decided that to change the mojo they would make every single batter uh the angels hitters because the away team doesn't get walk-up songs. The home team always gets a walk-up song. They made every single Angels hitter's walk-up song a different Nickelback song. They lost 1-0, had a grand total of seven base runners, all of which were stranded, and they managed to throw to get two errors in there. Um, so, you know, the baseball gods clearly let me know how they feel about Nickelback, and I think most people feel the same sentiment about Nickelback. Um, yeah, I think they have, like, one good song. It's like the Angels had like yeah. one or two good at bats last night. Um, so yeah, that didn't work. Nickelback as the walk up songs didn't work, fellas. Losing streak goes to 14 games. Maybe switch it up. Maybe go with like gold play or stick with the vibe, maybe, but just not Nickelback next time. I don't know. Yeah, confusing there from I saw that they were doing that and didn't pan out too well for them. That's funny that they each pick a different song. Um, I wonder if you know if a pinch hitter came in, what if they were like. They didn't. They like wanted a song, but it was already taken. They just they had a random Nickelback is. song. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't want any of them. There's like one good song, and it yeah, probably went the trout. So like you know, I wonder if they did like a snake draft on like Ooh. what Nickelback song to pick. It had to have been right. Like, but here's the thing. Like, like Shoei doesn't listen to Nickelback. What did he think? He's like, who are these yeah, guys? I don't know what he's thinking. He might think <laughs> I don't it's know good, what, honestly. I don't know what the team's thinking. Nickelback guys, come on. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Clearly, it didn't work. It wasn't going to work. Anyone in the world could have told you it wasn't going to work, but the Angels, apparently. So, you know, Orlando Brown Jr. using tennis uh, to get his pass pro right. And the Angels using their uh, using Nickelback to get their lineup right. It's got like the handshake, you know, like the handshake meme. Yeah. With like not working. That's what that would be right now. So, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, as it's kind of virtual for my final point in the ice bath the kind of virtual sports Madden 23 cover was released as the namesake John Madden will be the representative and the NFL Madden Twitter account posted a clip just saying to pre-order the game you know with some gameplay with updated graphics not really updated pretty much the same thing and it showed Marlon Humphrey getting stiff-armed by Browns running back Nick Chubb and so after seeing it for himself, Marlon went to Twitter joking that they, were, they better take him out of the game right now before I sue. Then fellow Ravens DB Tony Jefferson replied to Marlon with a picture of Steelers running back Najee Harris hurdling him and another picture of the new Madden 23 gameplay. Um, and they were both a little bit upset about it. Um, Tony said something like, I'll join you with that lawsuit or something. Um, but the Madden Twitter account then replied saying, can we be friends now? Posting a clip of Marlon and Tony stripping Chubb while they were running down the field. Um, but if you want a good follow on Twitter, follow Marlon Humphrey at Marlon underscore Humphrey. 
just really funny thing I saw, you know, Marlon always interacts with random people on Twitter and sometimes funnier than not, he just, he has some awful food takes, um, horrendous, but the, the whole Madden clip was pretty funny. And I thought it was funny that Madden kind of interacted with him. Yeah. I for one won't be pre-ordering Madden just like I assume Marlon Humphrey won't be, um, I won't be buying Madden. Um, I don't play many video games anymore. If I do, it's not going to be Madden unless they fix franchise mode because it sucks. That's beside the point. But kind of fall off this top off this topic you got here. Um, I love when when players interact on Twitter with guys. I think it's funny. I think we need more of that. The Chargers finally have a couple of guys like Braden Fajoko, former Texas Tech recruiter, actually played in Lubbock a couple of years, transferred to LSU, won a natty there. But he's on the Chargers. He interacts with fans on Twitter. I think it's cool. We need more of that. I always like it when like like Lamar. He drops like the Yamami thing. It's like that. That's hilarious. We need more because like, he's clearly uh, joking, right? Like, we need more of that. I think it's funny. I swear, every Ravens player is like active on Twitter. I'm jealous, dude. They're all on Twitter. They're always like on one, just like joking around, messing around with fans on Twitter. It's hilarious. Um, like the Lamar, like Yamami thing has become like the biggest Twitter meme ever, and like sports yeah. Twitter, NFL Twitter. So I'm rocking with that. I'm rocking with players on you know interacting on Twitter. Um, I'm all about it. So. Um, look forward to the ice bath though. This was fun. It's always going to be, it's like some lighthearted stuff. Um, I'm probably going to lean to like funnier stuff. I just think it's cool and stuff in sports, just really funny. Um, yeah, it lightens the mood a little bit. I enjoy it. We both enjoy it. I think both of ours are funny stuff today. So kind of going to be the theme. Sometimes it'll be something cool, something unique, but, um, especially right now, a lot of, not a ton of sports going on for the most part, not a lot of funny stuff going on. So we're going to pick what we can. So like I said, sometimes it'll be one, sometimes maybe two. Maybe we got a crazy week and we get three one time. Who knows? Maybe we mix it up. But ice bath, something fun we're going to start doing. And um, we're really looking forward to getting this going at the end of every episode. Yeah, no, you pretty much said it. Um, just kind of continuing to figure out ways to evolve the podcast and add new things. And we're not done yet. I mean, our intro is the icebreaker and we kind of wrap up the episode with the ice bath. But other than that, we're going to add some things, maybe some intro music coming up. Um, like we said, we could have a potential Monday episode in a few days. Um, not 100% certain on that yet. But kind of one of our longer episodes today, kind of a lot of funny things, a lot of in- information. We got the standings updates and, you know, the Preakness going on or Preakness Belmont stakes going on. As you know, NHL and the horse racing finishes up. I think we'll have a much shorter episode, probably around 50 minutes or so. So. And we, we like doing this a lot, um, obviously, doing it for the past hour and a half now. And a lot of prep goes into it. Um, every week we compile all the information we get and remember and kind of touch on everything we can. Um, really enjoy putting everything together. I know sports is a big thing in both of our lives, uh, just in kind of in terms of things we follow. Maybe not, you know, all we do, but I mean – Pretty much all I watch is sports. Um, all I follow in terms of like, just like follow things regularly as sports. I mean, it's a huge attraction and we love getting the information to y'all in the most concise, fun, enjoyable way possible. And that's what we're trying to do here on the Cold Seat Podcast. Um, drop us a follow on Instagram or Twitter at Cold Seat Podcast. And we will keep y'all updated with everything. Um, we're going to start tweeting here maybe some big news comes out we'll tweet it Uh, i know we haven't been doing that as much recently started when we first did the twitter but kind of haven't recently so we'll get back to that here soon 
Um, so make sure you're following us if you want to be tuned in for that, especially with an NBA draft coming up. But other than that, I think that's pretty much it. Thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you all soon. See you guys maybe sooner than Thursday. <laughs>